Let's bow for prayer. Great trying God of heaven, we come before you having just expressed through song what I pray would be the prayer of our heart. That you, Christ Jesus, our Savior, are all I want. God, I pray for every believer here more and more but even more in this moment, that would be true of us, that you are our all in all, our comfort, our shield, our bulwark, that you are all we want. God, we pray as your word reveals to us as we have expressed already that in you we would find plenteous grace and we ask even now in this hour for an outpouring of your grace we know that your word promises that you will bless your word your word preached to your people that you will be with us in the preaching of your word and that through the preaching of the word it's not a man's voice that we hear but that we would hear the voice of Christ and God we pray that you would do that even now among us we pray that you would draw sinners to repentance we pray that you would sanctify your saints we ask this in Jesus name for your kingdom's sake amen you would please turn in your Bible to the book of 1st Peter chapter 1 1st Peter chapter 1 Today we will, somebody will say, finally finish up chapter one. <laughs> we turn our attention this morning to verses 22 through 25. And as we come to the end of this chapter, I want to say some things that I'll probably need to say again. But, but I want us to be reminded that we have these chapter and verse divisions that were not original to Peter's letter. They were added as an aid for our study. The, the chapter and verse numbers are not the inspired part, but they are helpful and we're glad to have them. Uh, they do make things easier. For instance, I was able to say, turn to First Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 22 through 25. It, it makes things easier for us in that way. Uh, but it is important for us to keep in our minds, especially in, a, in an epistle like 1 Peter, which means it's a letter that was written, that there's no real division in the text. Uh, these numbers are, are, in some sense, arbitrary as they mark out chapters and verses. The thought and the flow of the text is not determined by the verse numbers or the chapter numbers. And often we see through the scripture that, that they don't really mark out. And I think sometimes they try to do a good job of marking out uh, good divisions, but sometimes uh, they're not even good divisions, but they are handy for us in our study. So as we come to the close of chapter one and we move toward chapter two, 
Uh, keep in mind, this, this is not like a, a book that you might read, a, a chapter book or a, a novel that you might read, where you move from one chapter to another and those chapters are thematic separations. Peter is writing here a letter that has singleness of mind and thought, and, and that flows from one to the next, one thought to the next. There's continuity. Uh, so chapter one has called us to consider the living hope that we have in Christ Jesus, the great salvation that we have through his precious blood. And as we move toward chapter two, we are going to be moving forward, but we're not going to be moving on from these great truths. We keep those things in mind as we, as we move forward. And today begins that process of moving forward, of transition to chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 22 through 25. Follow along in your copy of God's word as I read. This is the word of the living God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your soul for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Thus reads God's word. Up through verse 21, we have been noting motivations for holy living. Motivations for holy living. The, the apostle has been exhorting us to holiness by giving us reasons, motivations, strong purposes, an impetus that spurs us on to live holy lives. And Peter has been building a solid case for this, and he's not done building. So we come to verse 22, still building here, and we see the word since, and it connects us to what has come before, to what comes after since and this is an important word s-i-n-c-e like a because or a therefore we don't just want to ignore it we see this word since since you have purified all the motivations for holy living have been presented they should be accepted by every believer in Christ and adopted we should be striving to live lives of holiness now that you are striving to live in holiness since you have purified. That's what we get here. Since you have purified. And then he adds in obedience to the truth. Since in obedience to the truth, you have purified. This obedience to the truth refers to at least and first of all to their faith exercised toward Christ Jesus for salvation. 
It refers to that obedience of repentant faith, but it also refers to the truth which he has presented these exhortations to holiness. So Peter here in writing has full expectation that the obedience to truth for the Christian does not stop at saving faith and repentance. It certainly includes saving faith and repentance, but it continues for every Christian on to holy living. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified. So the wording here, the wording here with this sense you have purified is, is somewhat difficult to understand. There's some argument and normally if uh, some French theologian is arguing about what a text should say, I, I don't bring that to the pulpit, but here we have John Calvin and John Gill and uh, that carries some weight. So, so we see here what we have in our English translations, since you have in obedience to the truth. And that tends to, to focus our attention or emphasize the past tense. Since you have in obedience to the truth, it, it tends to draw us to the past, thinking about our repentance and faith towards God at conversion. But here, there is a case that can be made that this would be better Translated instead of since you have purified, rather it could be said this way, purifying your souls in obedience to the truth. Giving more emphasis to the current and ongoing work in the Christian. Calvin takes this stance. Listen to what he says. Erasmus badly renders the words, I love old theologians. They just, they just tell it like it is. Erasmus badly renders the words who have purified, etc. For Peter does not declare what they had done, but reminds them of what they ought to do. The participle is indeed in the past tense, but may be rendered as a gerund by purifying. And he continues. So the meaning here includes the idea that their faith and repentance at conversion are seen, but their faith and repentance from conversion is proved out and manifested by this purifying work, which is ongoing. This speaks to holiness. It speaks to perseverance in the Christian. So we consider this purification of the soul since in obedience to the truth you have purified or you are purifying the soul first the the, the statement the little phrase purifying the soul supposes that the soul is impure you don't purify something that is pure. You purify that which is impure that needs to be purified. Purifying the soul supposes that the soul is impure. And we know this to be true. We know it from our own experience, from our, from our own lives. But we also know it from scripture, which tells us there is none good. There is none righteous. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders, adulteries, other sexual immoralities, thefts, 
lying, blasphemies. The soul of man is sinful. The soul of man is depraved. The soul is impure. And as we say the soul is impure, this is to say the whole person is impure, both soul and body. That, that is the fallen nature of man. The fallen sinful man by nature inherited from Adam is impure. Sinner, your members, your very body and all the powers and faculties of your soul are yielded to sin. And the scripture tells us you are a slave of sin. And Peter is speaking here of purifying the soul. Purifying your soul is only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. And here we have in this, this idea of purifying the soul, an internal purifying. He's speaking of the inner man. It does not exclude external purity. But there is a progression that we must understand. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's out of the inner man that comes the external actions. So here this internal purifying of the soul will terminate. It will end in purity of external outward living. Purifying of the soul is an internal act that will be shown forth and it will come forth. The King James includes here a little prepositional phrase which is not found in our other English translations. Again, often I wouldn't bring this up, but Calvin and Gill speaks to it. The, re the reason we don't see it in our other English translations is because they say it's not found in most manuscripts, but John Calvin and John Gill felt that it should be here. It is found in some manuscripts. They felt that it should be here. And, and in looking at this, we look and see, is this meaning that is added by this prepositional phrase, is it biblical? And it certainly is. The phrase added here is in the spirit. In the spirit. So if the phrase is not here, we who have read scripture, we who understand the Holy Spirit's work and the work of Christ in us, we know that this purifying of the soul is in the spirit. Listen to what Gill says, and then we'll go to Calvary. For as Christ died to purify him to himself a peculiar people, the spirit of Christ does from him purify the heart by faith. In his blood. The spirit is the purifying agent. The spirit is the acting one in this purification. Listen to Calvin who I think is uh, very clear here. Speaking of Peter writing here. He says that he might not seem to ascribe to us. The power of purifying our soul. He immediately adds through the spirit. As though he had said. Your souls are to be purified, but as ye cannot do this, offer them to God that he might take away your filth by his spirit. 
This work of purifying the soul is not something that we say, wow, we are doing a great job of this. There is a work of purifying the soul. So there is a work of holiness increasing in us. And in the end we say, glory be to God. It is his work. The Apostle Paul gives us the same exhortation about purifying our soul. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, we read, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We find here that Peter is continuing to build this motivation, this encouragement to holy living. But the holy living is not an end in itself. Purity, holy living becomes, as we'll see here, the foundation for Christian love. Look at the verse, verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. You have purified your souls for, that is to say, with a view toward or for the purpose of a sincere love of the brethren. The purifying of your soul, the, the holy living that we've been exhorted to is to the end that you will have a sincere love of the brethren. Listen again to Calvin. He had before spoken of the mortification of the flesh and our conformity to the will of God. But he now reminds us of what God would have us to cultivate through life. What would God have us to cultivate through life? He continues, that is mutual love toward one another. For by that, by that mutual love to one another, that brotherly love, we testify also that we love God. And by this evidence, this love of the brethren, God proves who they are who really love him. Those are strong statements from Calvin. Is he just making this up? Is he just coming up with this idea of brotherly love? No, Calvin is picking up on verses like John 13, 35, by this, you will, by this they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Jesus gave us a command. We read it today. Uh, John tells us it's a new command, not new because we've never heard it before, but it's new in priority. It's new in emphasis. And what is this command? Love one another. Brotherly love is evidence of regeneration. One way that you can evaluate and search your heart. Am I a true believer? Well, do you love the brethren? It is a distinguishing mark, this brotherly love, a distinguishing mark of the Christian. 1 John 3 tells us we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren and he who does not love the brethren abides in death. If anyone says he loves God and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. And this love, this is, this is not a worldly 
love. It's certainly not love of the world, and it is not a worldly love. It's not even love for fellow man. It's more than that. This is love for the brethren, love for Christians. And I want to illustrate this. I, I thought about when our children were small, I learned something about myself. And I have since that time noticed it about you as well. I noticed that the people who loved my children, I loved them. I loved my children and they loved my children and that common love knit our hearts together. I love the people who love my children. And just this week, someone made an expression of love toward my wife. And my wife was moved. And I was moved because this person, this lady, loved my wife. We love those who love those whom we love. That's fun to say. You can try it sometime. This brotherly love here, it's love for fellow Christians. It's love for those who love Christ Jesus. And this brotherly love flows from every heart that is sprinkled pure by Christ's precious blood. This love continues it is enduring. It is exercised all our days. This brotherly love. Verse 23 continues to exhort us in Christian purity and in brotherly love. It says, you have been born again. You have been born again. And this theme of new birth is going to be picked up by Peter as we move forward into the next chapter when he speaks of newborn babies and the milk that is consumed by newborn babies. We are born again, and it tells us we are born again of seed. We're born, born again of seed. And this seed is specified for us. It's not the kind of seed which is perishable, but the sort that is imperishable. When we think of the scripture and we think of the seed, uh, many of us immediately think of the seed that is mentioned throughout the Old Testament, all the way from back in Genesis, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. And these Phrases, the seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham. These refer to the Messiah in the Old Testament, the Messiah who would come. Now for us New Testament Christians, the Messiah who has come. The seed refers there to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we are certainly born Christians by this seed through the person and the work of our Lord. While we know that we are born of the seed of Christ, this text, as it speaks of the seed by which we are born, it seems to say the seed is the word of God. 
But one, the seed being Christ, or the seed being the scripture, one does not negate nor contradict the other. We are using this language to say that we are born of Christ. We have been born again through his life and death. But the instrument, the means by which we have heard and believed the gospel is the word of Christ. It's the word, the scripture. We're born of Christ, but we are born. No one is saved apart from the word of God. I, I thought somebody would agree with that. No one is saved apart from the word of God. We are born of Christ, but we are born through the instrument, through the means of the word of God. So there's no need to choose here whether seed refers to Christ or the word of Christ. <clears throat> For Christ cannot be disconnected from the word. He is called the word. And to try to separate the word of God from Christ Jesus is to attempt the impossible. Listen, friends, there is no such thing as a person who loves Jesus, but not the Bible. Uh, that person may love a Jesus-like idol that they have created in their own mind, but they can't love Jesus of the Scripture and not love the Scripture that reveals Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. We abide in Christ. His word is to abide in us. There's no separation. There's no choice to be made here. It's all encompassing. We have been born again of seed, not imperishable. I'm, I said that wrong. <laughs> I'm looking ahead. We're born again of seed, not perishable, but imperishable. That is, we are born through, the text tells us, through the living and enduring living and enduring word of God. It contrasts here that which is perishable, that which is not abiding, not enduring, that which is dying with that which is living, that which is enduring. It is the living and enduring word of God. And look at verse 24 as we continue this contrast to see this here. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. This is quoted from Isaiah 40. And here it continues this contrast between the enduring seed of the word of God and flesh. Flesh. Flesh is one of those words that can mean slightly different things depending upon its context. And here flesh is not intended to mean sinfulness specifically or evil within a man. It means all that is in humanity and that is perishing. That is unenduring. That is fading. It includes everything in the human race which is corrupted by sin. And we know that this corruption by sin is through and through. The depravity of sin is total depravity in every part. The living and enduring and imperishable seed of the word, which is the instrument and the means by which we hear the gospel 
which leads us to salvation. It is contrasted with that which is fading, that which is withering, that which is dying, the flesh of man. But the word of the Lord, verse 25 says, endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. The forever enduring word of the Lord produces in perishable men and women new creation, new life. And it produces in sinners a work that is imperishable. Beloved, sinner here without Christ, these things as we speak of the enduring and imperishable things, these things do not apply to you in your current state. Lost in this world without God, you don't know the eternal work of the imperishable word of God. The best you have is flesh. And like the grass in the field, living in Texas, if we've lived through a Texas summer, we know something about this word picture that's given here, right? We know something about that grass that shoots up and flowers and then becomes brown and crunchy and dry because it's dying. It's withering. And lost person, all the glory of the flesh, all the glory of our human lives is like this without Christ Jesus. Hear, hear the living and enduring word of God. Recognizing your sin and that you justly deserve hell, run to Jesus. Run to him for forgiveness of sin. Cry out to him in repentant faith and be saved today. Dear saints, what a great reminder it is of the blessedness of God's word. <coughs> we who love Christ, love his word, and we are encouraged by the eternal value, the imperishable and unfading nature of the scripture. Those scriptures which first told us of our sin and then of the Savior, the Lamb of God crucified for our sin and resurrected for our hope of resurrection. We are we are also Christians exhorted here uh, that is encouraged and commanded to love one another. How easy it is to get frustrated with, with any human being, especially those who are closest to us, right? Christians, can't Christians be exasperating sometimes? I mean, we're not denying that, but the text tells us that we are to love one another, even though we can be frustrating, even though we can be exasperating, we are to love one another, 
even when we're being especially annoying, love. In chapter four, Peter will say, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That's quite a statement. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And this is, this is not the kind of love that we ignore Everything. This is not this is not love from a Hallmark movie. It's not fairy tale love. This is real love. And sometimes we need to be reminded of what real love is. The world lies to us about what real love is and how to love. Seeking the benefit of our brothers and sisters in Christ above our own. Giving of ourselves. Spending ourselves in service to the church. And I don't, we don't own a building. We're not talking about the church building. We're talking about the, the church. We are the church. Spending ourselves in service to the church of Christ. This is loving one another. Loving one another by exercising the one another's of Scripture. Because the Bible doesn't leave it up to us to decide what loving behavior is. The Bible instructs us and our weak lack. Listen to just a sampling. Honor one another above yourselves, Romans 12. Build up one another, Romans 14. Admonish one another, Romans 15. Care for one another, 1 Corinthians 12. Serve one another, Galatians 5. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6. Forgive one another, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. Be patient with one another, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3. Speak the truth in love. That's loving one another. Speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4. Look to the interests of one another, Philippians 2. Bear with one another, Colossians 3. Comfort one another, 1 Thessalonians 4. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 5. Stir one another up to love and good deeds, Hebrews 10. Show hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4. Confess your sins one to another, James 5. And pray for one another, James 5. That's how we love one another. We do this stuff. These are things that we do toward one another to show love. But the Bible also tells us how to love by not doing some things. Do not lie to one another. Colossians 3. Stop passing judgment on one another. Romans 14. Stop biting and devouring one another lest we be destroyed. Galatians 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Galatians 5. I just want to comment there. I think in our day, there is so many ways of provoking and envying. I mean, just 
open your browser, go to your favorite social media thing, and something might rise up within us, envying one another. James 4, do not slander one another. James 5, do not grumble against one another. We love one another by the things that we do that Scripture commands, and we learn love one another by the things that we don't do that Scripture commands that we not do. Church of the living God, let us hear the word of God today. We are members of one another. Now, because we are loved by Christ our Savior, let us love one another. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm. God, we pray that you would apply these things to our hearts. That you would convict us. Where we have either not loved or tried to love in a way that we have defined that doesn't square with your word. Help us, remind us of the precious blood of Christ. We pray, God, that by your grace, you would continue to save sinners. God, we think of those who are, who are here with us today without Christ Jesus. We think of our family children, our parents, some with spouse, those whom we love. God, we pray that you would uh, help us that our speech would be seasoned with grace. That we would that we would show forth your work as testimonies of your grace. We pray this in Christ's name.